Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Priority Status by J Public Relations. I'm Molly Folsom, a social media account director at JPR, here today to dive into a discussion on 2020's tremendous impact on the social media space and what it means to be a brand telling their story successfully in 2021. I'm joined today by one of JPR's favorite travel entrepreneurs, my good friend, Sarah Funk. Sarah is the on-camera host and entrepreneur behind GoDaddy's School of Hustle, Travel and Leisure Magazine's Instagram story takeovers, and of course, her own channels, which attain over 9 million impressions a month. Sarah also owns a tour company in New York City, is the author of several eBooks about various travel destinations, and continues to be a thought leader, coach, and mentor to aspiring social media professionals across the travel industry. As always, thank you for listening. Let's dive on in. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we used to work together so often and I haven't been able to chat with you as much recently. So I'm so excited to have you on so that our clients and our listeners alike can hear some of your thoughts and learnings from the last year of social and get tuned into some of the bigger social trends for the year ahead. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be part of the show. Thank you, Molly. And yeah, you know, let's hope that we can work together again in the near future now that I think travel will start to come back and a lot of things are picking up again because... We just can't live like this much longer. You know what I mean? We need some happiness in our lives. And it's a huge change for you, Sarah. I will never forget. I met you. What is that bakery, right? In Union Square. Yeah, the one that has the really good hot chocolate. Yes. And we met there and you told me that you were quitting your corporate job at Disney and that you were going to be traveling the world. And at that time, I'm trying to remember what your follower count was. It was small. It was small. And you gave me some really good advice. Like as someone that's a professional in the PR travel realm, you really helped me kind of understand what you guys need so that I can grow into that role. And I think that helped me become what I am today really with all of the travel content, my following count, I think at the time was like 10,000, maybe on a good day. (laughs) It was so fun because in a non-COVID world, I remember every time I logged into my feed, you were living in a different country. You and Louie were just everywhere from South America to Morocco. And so I'm sure that COVID has felt very, very different for you two in particular. Part of me feels like I lost my identity, honestly, because so much of who I am is associated with travel and to have that taken away. And I know like so many people are going through this. It's not just me. It's shocking. It's almost physically painful at times, like to not be able to explore different places, see the world, just simply get on a plane. So yeah, I've had to pivot quite a bit in the last year, but... I think that what this year teaches all of us is the importance of diversifying the topics you talk about and understanding how to connect with your customer and your audience in new ways that still resonates with them and is relevant to your brand. Because I'm hoping that when all of this comes back, what we're gonna see, and this is my expectation, is all of those old revenue streams that a lot of businesses had lost, they're going to come back. But because you build new ideas through crises like this, you're going to have new revenue streams, new outlets in addition to what you started with. So I think we're all going to come out of it stronger. Painful process, but stronger in the end. No, absolutely. And in a way, I think it actually has made the travel community come together more than ever. I've noticed a lot of camaraderie and affirmations across social in particular. And you already hit the topic on the head. If we're sitting here talking about social trends in the last year, I mean, if we were talking January 28th, 2020, and comparing toe for toe, (laughs) the social channels and the space and kind of what you needed to do to succeed on social then versus now, it is an entirely different ballgame. And I know we've just been talking about COVID through the lens of how it impacted the travel industry, but 
the impact on social as a concept and all these social channels is tremendous. And I'd love to hear, you know, when March and April first hit, from your perspective, somebody who is putting out unique content on Instagram, putting out unique content on YouTube, getting things uploaded to your Facebook already, how did you diversify? And like, what were those first steps you took to change the way you were presenting content right in the onset of all of this? Oh my gosh, I had to completely shift. And to be honest with you, like I didn't even look at my analytics starting mid-March because it was so depressing. I couldn't believe it. Cause you know, like as someone whose entire brand was about travel, now travel's banned. So no one's searching for travel, no one's looking up travel. So you see a huge drop. And so there was a few weeks where I was just completely lost, not even weeks, months. And so I had to really take a step back and force myself to look into the analytics of my social, look into what was trending on social media and say, how can I incorporate these topics into my brand in a way that feels authentic? And I know that word is so overused, but like, you know, it's like, I hate the word, but I also am like, but really I wanted to feel relevant and authentic to my audience. And so what I started doing was I obviously could not talk necessarily about travel, but I could talk about the impact that travel has had on my life. I could talk about New York City, which is a big part of my brand, just things to do in New York and maybe what it's like to live in New York City now. And so I did what a lot of different travel brands did, and that's shifting to lifestyle and focusing on like, how can we have great experiences at home since we can't go outside? And so I started doing a few different series on finding my dream apartment in New York. I'm still very confused about this. Like I always thought people followed me just for travel tips, but it turns out that people like to know the face behind the brand. And I think this is a lesson that a lot of brands should take into consideration because people can't relate to corporations, but they can relate to other people. And so when you start to be more open with your customers and your audience, it creates this really great relationship where people trust you more, they value your opinion, they wanna hear more about your life. And so from there, once I saw people were interested in like me finding this dream apartment, I was thinking, okay, well, a lot of people had questions about that apartment. Why don't I create more videos addressing my story. And so I started to talk more about my story, how I became a content creator, how I am able to work with tourism boards, travel brands, travel and leisure, Forbes, all of these big companies. When I had no experience and I had really no connections at all in the beginning, this led to me building an entire course on how to do this, which helped with revenue, obviously, because you, as a travel creator and there's no travel, you know, you are losing some revenue there, but also as a tour company owner, I own a tour company in New York. So I started to think, okay, well, obviously I can't do tours in New York. The thing is like, I guess what's different about me as a content creator versus other content creators is I don't just create travel content. I also am in the travel industry because I own a tour company. So I can relate to like what hotels are going through and what tour companies are going through. And another great learning that I took from this was the importance of live video. So I couldn't do my tours because people can't travel here. But what if, what if I could bring people virtually to New York? I tried doing a live tour on YouTube and I was like, this is going to be a disaster. Sarah, am I remembering the timing of all of this happened during that phase where, you know, everyone was like, New York is dead. And I think yes. the, the whole world kind of was like, I love New York. What's really happening there? And I think that very cleverly, you were able to think of some ideas to capitalize on the curiosity that people had of like what's actually going on on the ground there. 
Exactly. And so I made some YouTube videos about what life was like in New York, which also performed pretty well. And then I took it a step further and literally would go live and show people around New York as a tour guide. And here's what happened, which shocked me. So as a tour company owner, you charge a ticket fee to attend your tours and you have a cap generally on how many people can attend the tours. So it's a good experience. And my tours are definitely more on the high end side. So I don't let more than 10 people attend because I want to keep it intimate. You know, all that nonsense. You do a lot of curation for people too. Like yes. them about what they most want to see. Because I mean, we both know you could, you could live in New York for a decade and still not hit everything. Oh, for sure. It's like unlimited. It's unlimited content. And so... What happened was when I do group tours, like when I have my tour guides go out and they do their group tours, it's a set fee per person. We only take up to 10 people. And so there's a cap on how much revenue you can make with that. Now, what happens with a live tour is really interesting because there's no cap on a live video. So what suddenly started happening is the tours that I could only bring 10 people on previously, now I'm getting 800, 900 people attending these tours. And because they enjoy them, they're starting to tip. Now I don't charge a fee to join the live tour because I considered it as a marketing strategy to remind people that I own a tour company. But right in the beginning of the tour, I would always say, if you enjoy this tour, please consider leaving a tip. You know, tourism is struggling right now because of the pandemic. And so I ended up making more money per tour than I did with the in-person tours. That's insane. Yes. It was really surprising to me. It would be like two to three times more money per live tour than the in-person ticketed tours. And I feel like from a reporting standpoint, this really dials back to the brackets of what the 2020 predicted social trends were supposed to be. I remember in like December of 2019, right before we got into 2020, back when everything was normal, the general word from Instagram HQ was more live video, more being yourself, more showing who you really are. Their main message was the flat lay is dead. Nobody wants to see your perfect manicured pictures anymore. Find ways, whether you're an influencer or a brand, to like actually connect with people. And I think all of us marketers on the agency side at the time struggled with that a bit. You know, like we have spent our entire careers learning how to get the perfect flat lay of the breakfast spread in bed. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, Eva Chen and her team are saying, forget all of that and show the concierge, show somebody real that's working at the bar. And so listening to the tale that you just told, you know, you started by saying, I wasn't really sure like what to post about. What I was actually going through was a pretty vulnerable time for me. You know, things weren't going well. And you found ways to put that out to your audience and not only connect with them in a probably a stronger way than a lot of brands did. A lot, you know, a lot of brands come March 2020 just went dark, right? They just had no idea what to post. They moved forward and a couple touched the virtual programming sphere and then that dipped out. And beyond that, I think a lot of people were like, okay, well, this is a dark time for us. How on earth are we going to post and connect with audience members and not sound like a Debbie Downer, but also portray what what's actually being offered. And so it's fascinating to me that you not only rode into COVID with the same experience that all hotel and travel brands experienced, but then were able to find creative ways to take the platform that you already have and create new content that, would you say, 800 people are joining these to see yeah. what's going on in New York? That's insane. And think about it from a marketing standpoint, right? Like if you don't even look at the revenue, there's no tour companies doing this. So when someone's coming to New York, they're going to want to book my tour because when they were trapped in their house, like everyone else, their outlet 
to get to New York was these tours. And so yeah. when they come here, they're going to go to my tour company first. And I remember you mentioned like a lot of brands kind of went dark and they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to communicate. And I can totally relate to that. I mean, at first I was so lost, so, so lost. And I started joining a lot of like the virtual webinars with different tourism agencies and companies just like to brainstorm. And so when I discovered this method of just connecting with people through the live tours, the first thing that brands said to me when they heard that I did this was, but you're giving everything away for free. Then people will know your routes. Then, then how are they going to buy a ticket? The reality is there's nothing that compares to going somewhere in real life. Right. No one's going to choose to watch a freaking tour on a couch when they could do it in real life. But during this lull period, that was a way that they could connect with you and connect with travel. And yep. I think where you're going with this is that ultimately this is going to only make you seem more authoritative when the world opens back up. Exactly. Exactly. So the brands that I spoke to about this, when I saw it was working for me, they were so hesitant. They were so, so hesitant because as a brand, especially as a tour brand, you don't want to give away your routes because that's like your moneymaker. Yep. I think an example I have in my court is we had clients, even something as simple as giving away like their signature cocktail recipe during right. this period, right? And they'd be like, oh, like this is our moneymaker. This is our signature. We don't want to give this away. And what turned out on the flip side is like people loved having that connection. When we would post those things, we'd get comments that were so enthusiastic. They'd be like, I miss this Mai Tai so much. Can't wait to make this for Aloha Friday at home, but like, can't wait to see you guys in the future. Because at the end of the day, nothing is going to be the same as having a Mai Tai in person at Holly Kulani in Oahu. Totally. <laughs> totally. You can make it at home. And then in your court, they're addicted to these tours online now. But when the world opens up, they're going to be looking to you immediately if they're coming to the city and want that curated experience. Exactly. And that's why there's no harm in just trying it. And that's what I like to tell people is like, it may seem strange and different and weird because you've never done it before, but we're living in strange, different and weird times. So you got to try some things that you've never done before and they could work. I think that one of the biggest trends that we've picked up on is how community-centric, supportive, and forgiving audiences around the world have been on social in the last year. And I think tied to what you were just saying about experimenting, you know, your audiences are like game to watch that happen now. Ava Chen like gave us permission to do it and we all chickened out at the beginning of 2020. And then we were forced <laughs> to do it as social marketers all throughout Q2 and Q3. And what we learned is our audience is not as nitpicky as we might've thought or feared. And so yeah. looking at like one of the biggest shifts we've seen tied to all of this, you know, COVID happens, all of a sudden the whole world is spending their whole day on their phones, right? Mm -hmm. More so than ever. And we get these new platforms introduced. We've got TikTok coming, eventually Clubhouse entered scene. And one of the bigger trends we've seen is that Social has shifted to a place where more than ever, everyone and anyone is willing to participate in broad forum and talk in the comment threads and the forums and join a clubhouse conversation. And I'm wondering if as you were diversifying these topics, did you see a shift in like your audience members and their level of engagement online? Oh, for sure. Yeah, people were much more engaged and much more interested and they were willing to share more with me and with their friends and family because it's the only way you can connect with people. Yep. You know, that's it. And I think what this has done is it's kind of like removed barriers. For example, TikTok. Before the pandemic, TikTok, everyone was like, oh, that's for kids. Right. You know, now you see everyone, on accountants on TikTok, you see like grandmas on TikTok. It's kind of removed the barriers of like what your presence should be on social media. Before the pandemic, it was like 
perfectly curated everything. And now it's much more raw and real and kind of just like, this is who I am. And this is the reality. And being open like that and sharing your story with people. And this is something brands can do too. People connect so much more, so much more. Another thing that I started doing during the pandemic was because I wasn't producing travel content for brands all over the world and traveling there, I started working with local businesses to grow their YouTube presence and to grow their social handles through creating video content. And one of the things I've noticed is a lot of brands still unfortunately are stuck in that, like, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be like very branded content, but the content that I always push for and that I always tell like my clients that we should focus on is content that just shows who works for your company and like make it fun around your guys' story and don't be too overbranded. So like, for example, Brooklyn Roasting Company is one of my clients. And when I first started working with them, they wanted very heavily branded content. For our audience, can you define just like contextually, heavily branded content. Sure. So heavily branded content is like, you know, immediately it's a commercial. That's pretty much what that means. Yeah. It's got the logo perfectly centered. Yeah. There's a beautiful manicured hand reaching in from the left. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You're not really adding any value to a person's life. You're just like, our product is great because we provide these things. Number one, clean facilities. Like no one watches that. And to the defense of every social media manager, that was the name of the game 2016 through 2018 plus, getting those perfect assets. But Mm -hmm. continue. I'm curious. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, no. (laughs) Because everyone's had a rough time last year and everyone just wants to relate to someone that also understands what they're going through. As long as you can just reiterate in some way the quality of the brand in a non-in-your-face manner, the rest is all just about connecting with people. And so for my example, for Brooklyn Roasting Co., originally what they were interested in was heavily branded content. And what I explained to them is that won't work because people are being sold to constantly. And what you need to do instead of selling through that type of content is sell through providing valuable information that is interesting to people and resonates with them. So instead of having like a perfect like actor model, like be like, here at Brooklyn Roasting Company, I was able to convince the founder to come on and, and talk about his story and why he likes coffee. And he showed people like three tips that he uses in his daily life to make the best cup of coffee. And it wasn't like, buy Brooklyn Roasting Company, buy Brooklyn Roasting Company. It wasn't like constantly in your face like that. It was just like, here's three ways that I make the best cup of coffee. And this is who I am. And this is why I love coffee. That's it. And it's it's a direct connection with someone that is an authority and an expert. And it's not a commercial because it's just real. Right. And like, I think sometimes what, people struggle with is, you know, just because you're not giving the overt click the link in bio to purchase Mm -hmm. our beans doesn't mean that that's not coming through when you have the owner doing a video of his expertise. It comes across as so much stronger and is one of those things that, again, it feels unnatural and uncomfortable as we shift into this space. But 100% the brands that have soared during this time are the ones that have been willing to lift the veil a little bit and be a little more vulnerable. I think that the example you gave reminds me of the Deer Path Inn in Illinois. It's a boutique property out there. Yes, I'm obsessed with them. Thanks to you sharing it on your Instagram. I followed them because of it. I was like, these people are so cool. (laughs) Yeah, and they, they play on their social as if they have no rules. And I love it because they're clearly not afraid to experiment. But tied to what you were saying earlier, about that kind of gap period where the hotel industry and travel industry were all freaking out because we just didn't know what the future held. And this was kind of in that late March, early April zone. Yeah. What was interesting about them in contrast was all the hotels were closed. Theirs was too. And they used that time to just create silly videos of their team members. And those videos started going viral 
And I also appreciated that, you know, as all of the industry was working to figure out proper protocols and procedures. And all of us, it was kind of like the blind leading the blind for a minute. Oh there. my God. It was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And they were very forward about that. You know, they were always all masked and they were working together to figure out some of the protocols. And they'd literally post like working on our bar protocols, like more to come. And it would be like a weird, hilarious video. <laughs> um, there are two bar backs, like dancing in the back area. Yeah. And I just think that like the real connection, whether it's, you know, the two dynamic duo bar backs at the Deer Path Inn having their little series together, or the owner of a coffee company coming forward and sharing his exact direct tips, or you coming live from the streets of New York to show what's actually going on. All of those are such perfect examples of how if you let your hair down, even just a, just a smidgen, not a ton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little. <laughs> you can always take it down a little bit further when you're comfortable. <laughs> right. That all of a sudden, your audience is like, oh, this brand is my friend. I feel like I actually know them. It doesn't feel like when they're hitting my news feed that I'm getting um, something stuffed down my throat for a purchase. And, you know, because social channels are a place where a consumer, yes, follows brands, but like they're scrolling through their feed and they're seeing their best friend's anniversary and they're seeing their mom's birthday a brand is going to stick out so severely as somebody swiping along with their thumb. And if their post is a graphic about a sale, you know, it just, it doesn't feel like it's... It doesn't feel right. No. Now. It just feels like too perfect in a non-perfect world, I guess. Yeah. And I want to specifically talk about TikTok. Pulse check. What thoughts on TikTok? Have you converted in 2020? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so TikTok, yes. TikTok. So there's a lot going on in my life and I'm trying to make time for TikTok. It's very challenging. But what I have noticed. It's a time consuming one. It really is. The way I look at TikTok is every time I've posted something that I barely tried with, it performed well. And then when I like spend hours editing something being like, okay, like this is the storyline. Like then it doesn't perform well. You've got a common thesis throughout all of these here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like my most viewed TikTok ever has like a hundred thousand views or something. And it was literally there was a clock on the Long Island city waterfront that was counting down the days until president Trump was no longer president Trump. <laughs> and so it was literally just a 10 second video where I said, this clock on the Long Island waterfront has a secret. It's counting down the days until president Trump is out of office. And that was it. That was it. And that is the most viewed TikTok. Meanwhile, you know, sometimes I'll try so hard to like put together some type of, TikTok that I guess it's too edited. So TikTok, it's something that I'm still exploring. And I feel like since I've had a few successes with it, I've kind of come to understand how it works a lot better. Also, one of my friends has half a million TikTok followers. So she gave me some really good advice, which I can share with you on this podcast if you'd like. Let's, because <laughs> let's hear it. Let's give our followers <laughs> some tips. I think that TikTok is such a mystery to all of our clients. And I know that a lot of them got on it in March and April because they have kids. And so the running joke on those status calls during that time, I was like, all right, team, who was forced to learn a TikTok dance this week? Yeah. So at first, when TikTok first came around, I was like, I am not a dancer. I don't belong here. But now you can do anything on TikTok. So my friend gave me some advice on TikTok about a month ago, and she has half a million TikTok followers. And since implementing her advice, almost every single TikTok that I've posted since then has gotten over 50,000 views. And granted, I haven't posted, actually it was two months ago she gave me this advice. I haven't posted too many because I, I have like my hosting job and YouTube and all these other things, and I'm having a baby. <laughs> so just, I have a lot going tiny on. Details. Just tiny details. Yeah. Right, you know, there's a lot going on here. But one of my top goals is to dedicate more time to this because now every time I post a TikTok, I use her strategy and the TikTok always performs well and I always get a lot of followers from it. So I just need to do it consistently. 
Okay. So number one with TikTok, you need to make it snappy. You can't drag it on. You need to have the first shot be very, very interesting. The first shot needs to be like the most beautiful, the most shocking, like it needs to be the best shot. So if you're doing a recipe, instead of starting with like an empty table with like a glass on it, because you're making a cocktail, you should show like the cocktail finished. Right. Because you're competing with people's thumb ADHD as they're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So like when they land on it, you're saying, give them the money shot. Yeah. The first thing needs to be that. That's really, really important. Second text. You can't have too much on-screen text. Like it has to be like big words, ideally no more than like five words at a time. And it should be very easy to read. And it should be on the top portion, not on the bottom portion. Cause the way TikTok puts the caption is kind of like overlays over the bottom. And so if your text is on the bottom, then the caption overlays it and you can't read it. And it's like a pretty large amount of real estate that yeah. you should not be using. Yeah. Yeah. So f- try to focus on the top part. And for the thumbnail image, that's the same. So when you go to someone's page on TikTok, you'll see like you can put text on the thumbnail. So you should have no more than three words in big letters so that people will know what that's about and they'll click on it. The saying, don't judge a book by its cover, but we all really do. It's kind of like that. So make sure that the thumbnail image is really good. And then... Try to use emerging trends, like emerging sounds. And so you can see when these trending sounds start picking up. And so if you use them early on, then the TikTok algorithm can throw you into that. And I hate the word algorithm because it's annoying. It's like, who knows how to work this algorithm? But right now with TikTok, you can actually really grow that way. So if you use like upcoming trending sounds, that really helps as well. And then the same with hashtags. So instead of just using every trending hashtag, you should really just use one to two that are specifically relevant to what your thing is about, and then use general hashtags relating to what your thing is about. I've noticed that some people just try to throw in all of those trending hashtags, but like trending hashtags on TikTok really does make a difference versus Instagram where hashtags don't really do much anymore. What's weird is back in the 2016 era, the name of the game on Instagram was include as many hashtags as possible. Yes, it doesn't do anything now. No, not a thing. But in contrast, I've heard this advice about TikTok before, like pick your two and run with them, like Mm -hmm. really narrow in and be strategic about like where this video should live and it's going to elevate it much more. Yeah, and TikTok's starting to prioritize longer TikToks now. That's the other thing. So... It goes up to 60 seconds, so you could go up to that if you'd like. The way TikTok will show your TikTok to people is how long someone watched it. Mm -hmm. So if you can have that like really fascinating shot first, some text that entices people what's going to happen in the TikTok, then actually do what you said is going to happen and then summarize at the end and ask them to follow, it's kind of like that's the timeline. So just to repeat that, what are you going to show them, show them, and then ask them to like follow for more content like that. And that's like the recipe. And that's what I've been doing. And it's worked amazingly, actually. Granted, I post like one a week. You should really be posting two a day. I'm busy. (laughs) I gotta hire someone to do that part for me. But uh, that's my advice. And it works. The content (laughs) level demands on TikTok are insane to me. Some of these big TikTok stars, the baby Gen Zers are, you know, up in like four to six videos a day. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I just don't have enough ideas for that that are actually good. And I guess it doesn't matter. That's the thing. (laughs) It doesn't matter sometimes. I always joke that these Gen Zers are going to put us all out of a job, Sarah, which they're just so ingrained on these platforms. And I mean, 2020 didn't make it any different. You know, they all got put in remote learning. So of course, what were they doing? TikToking. I'm very curious how things are going to change once they get taken out of remote learning. No, 100%. And looking at TikTok, I feel so many of the things that we were talking about earlier came to 
change because of TikTok specifically, and it deserves a little bit more attention in our 2020 trends. So what we were showing clients in Q4 of 2019, we talked about TikTok and I can say, even myself, I was such a hater. I was like, oh my God, guys. Oh, me too. Let me tell you about this Gen Z platform. You guys don't need to worry about it. Everybody's 13. (laughs) And then comes lockdown. And I think it took me, a week to get sucked in myself. And it was so fascinating because that was when everybody was like, oh, okay, we're going to be at home for two to three weeks. You know, sure, I'll humor my teenage daughter and look at this platform. But what has happened across the board because of this moment in particular is the whole world of all ages, all levels of coolness factor, you know, big celebrities, trendy, chic influencers, or just general plebeians like myself, get on this platform and realize that content is way more amusing when people are just silly in themselves. And it took like a uh, global pandemic event (laughs) to show us all that none of us super loved the curated content anyway. Yeah, which I'm so relieved about. Yeah, and I can think about like, you know, our past few years as social media strategists and it's like the amount of time that we've probably spent thinking about shot lists and storylines and what direction to take to get that perfect, perfect, perfect shot. And then all of a sudden to learn that people will care way more about my content if it's just me and my grandfather dancing, like (laughs) was a hilarious wake up call to have. And I think continues to roll on. And I think one of the other things you mentioned in your pro tips from your friend is those trending trends and tapping into those early. And I think that outside of TikTok, we're starting to see brands participate in those more and more. We can talk about the Bernie meme in the last couple of weeks, right? Oh my God. Yeah. That's everywhere. Right. And so (laughs) it's, it started. And I mean, we all know what those conversations look like as marketers. You know, that every single agency put an internal on their calendars to discuss whether the Bernie meme would be appropriate for their clients (laughs) or not. And yeah, funny is like the trends die so quickly. If you had missed it in those first 24 hours, you were late. You were then bandwagoning. Whereas some brands who allow their more junior employees to have more experimentation, I suppose is the best way to say it. And we're just like, yeah, go for it. Let's try it. Those are the ones that got put in the ad age articles. And those are the ones that went viral on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, all these other brands, three days later, finally made a Bernie meme. And you're like, okay, well, guys. Too late. Yeah, too late. (laughs) Glad you were able to finally get the C-suite on board. But like, I think that this idea of participating in social in real time, it's funny because Instagram in theory is supposed to be instant, right? And now the encouragement is back to that, like, follow along with what's actually happening. And if your brand can have a moment and have a little more fun with it, go for it. Like nobody's going to slap your hand. Yeah. You might as well just try it. You know, like, you know, everything, but Google trends, I am always looking at Google trends to Mm -hmm. see what's currently trending to see how I can incorporate that into something because it totally is who jumps on it first? Because if you miss it, then it's just as old news. Like if someone posts the Bernie meme now, I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, your content calendar's a, a seven days too late, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> you're, you're just annoying me now. I've seen it too many times. <laughs> and I think that this is a moment to bolster some of those more junior employees that might be at any agency or on property, wherever it might be. Like, those people are, are reading these trends in real time, you know, and they're not necessarily like us subscribing to TechCrunch or right. subscribing to social media today or logging in to check the Google trends. I think they're just so on the platforms that, you know, some of the biggest trends that we've been able to tap into were flagged by, you know, people who are having their first job ever and they're at the assistant level with us. And they're like, have you guys heard of this? And I'm like, no, (laughs) good point. And that's the thing, like the articles that say the trends, those like someone's researching those trends. So if you already have people that are on the platform, seeing those trends happen as they happen, they get to them before the articles even get to them. And that's why I think Anyone on your team that's a social media person, hopefully they would be on the younger side because they're more in tuned with that. And you kind of just have to trust them. 
that can be hard for executives <laughs> because like they grew up in a world where that's social media maybe wasn't like, well, maybe it didn't even exist. I just remember my experience at Disney. One of my bosses was like, let's put it in the student newspaper. And I was like, um, excuse me, <laughs> like, <laughs> let me stop you right there. <laughs> me over here has like no idea that student newspapers are like, you know, uh, a KPI outlet at all. Like, that's so funny. But no, you're right. Like the reason that traditional marketers are freaked out is that historically your marketing calendar annually would be planned out annually. You'd know Q1, we're going to deploy these assets and this messaging, and we'll spend a whole quarter working on the copywriting. And we're going (laughs) to pull in this ambassador to elevate and bolster it. And we'll work with them to make sure that they have their manuscript And in this modern world, marketing is sometimes an hour to hour process, right? Yeah, it can be really overwhelming because of that, honestly. Like I used to plan a content calendar before COVID. And since COVID, I don't even have a content calendar because it's so difficult to predict what is relevant to speak about. I just have to constantly, constantly be looking on social media and feeling how people are feeling because I want to create things that resonate with what people are feeling like right now. And I made a Christmas guide to New York in November. And at the time, like the COVID cases were good, everything was opening. And so I had like filmed the whole guide to go out right at the beginning of December. And then like COVID cases exploded and I had to completely reshoot the intro. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is why I can't plan this stuff in advance anymore. Yeah, There needs to be a better solution to like kind of coming up with content ideas. I wish there was a way to like plan ahead. It's so difficult right now. You just have to constantly be feeling the water and seeing how people are. Yeah. And what we had to do and what our leadership council was to clients is we said, hey, look, sentiment online right now. This wasn't just a March and April thing. This is still going on. The whole Every single month we do this with our clients. We're saying, hey, depending on your market, sentiment about travel varies greatly. But then also by day, depending on what's going on in the universe, sentiment online varies greatly. Like, are we ever going to appear tone deaf? And so we've been doing sentiment reporting for our clients, meaning like, hey, your audience is bumping. Let's keep cruising. Like everybody is happy that you're posting. And then in contrast, we'll have a client that maybe is in a market where a new mandate has rolled out. And, you know, we've had to make the recommendations of like, let's switch our content calendars to weekly. Like right now, because of the constant changes, it makes no sense for us to plan our content all the way through the month. If in two weeks, things could be different again. And I think all of that has felt again, uncomfortable is going to be the word I'm going to use, but ties back to the encouragement that the ever wise Eva Chen gave us before any of this happened, where she was saying, guys, drop the anxiety, drop the planning. You know, if there are ways that you can post more regularly and be okay with it being imperfect, it's going to do well. And I had no idea that when she was preaching that to me, that would mean rolling through thunders of mandates and political (laughs) moments. But I think that her encouragement and some of the reporting and analytics we've been seeing, and sounds like you've been seeing too across the board, is audiences are not only forgiving about less curated, more imperfect content, but are here for it. And back in March, when we were all posting our, here are new COVID mandates, or we're closed for the time being, we'll let you know when we're updated. Like those posts, I'm not kidding, you know, we'd get checked by six people and we'd all look at them and be like, oh my goodness, like, are we sure this is the right adjective to use? (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. I remember that. That was like Disney to the max. Is this the right shade of yellow? Is this is this Y113 or Y114? We need to make sure, like, oh my right. God. And my core takeaway is that the only people that care about that stuff has been us. You know, yes. we've been so in our own way for so long that this permission slip that we've gotten from trend experts and then now we're actually seeing and reporting is both relieving and intimidating. And I think the intimidating piece that you've mentioned is, you know, the amount of content that we're expected to produce, the in real time, like hopping right into it. And I think that 
I'm intrigued to see what that looks like for the travel space on the flip side of this when things open up again. You know, you have been always someone I've admired because I was giggling at the top of the call when you were like, you know, I didn't know that people were following me to, to see me. And I'm like rolling my eyes over here. I'm like, Sarah, I really did it. That was really shocking to me. Like, no joke. I still am shocked about that. I'm like, wait, what? You care about my opinion? I thought you just cared about like the destination. I've seen you grow and blow up. And in my perception, you know, as somebody who works with tons of travel influencers, I see all their content, is that what's been always refreshing about yours is it's you and Louie out somewhere. You have your like general themes. Like I always know that if I was anywhere, I could ask Louie for a beer recommendation. Like yeah. I, I, know your, I know your general like content pillars. And I think that like... <laughs> That connects like way more to people than some of the more rigid tourism guides. Like the back of the head photo of a girl in a flowy dress looking at a sunset. Esoterically <laughs> staring into the distance shots. Um, yes. Which, don't get me wrong. I love me a an occasional stare into the distance shot. For but sure. It can be really artistic. For It can be really beautiful. Totally. And I mean, you, you did your world tour and... I think that the media outlets like Travel and Leisure were very attracted to you because they knew if you were going to lead a takeover on their feed, it was going to feel almost like a, a live travel channel show that, you know, you were an actual host, the MC giving recommendations. And I can only imagine that, you know, as things open back up, that the Travel and Leisures and the Condé Nast Travelers and the Afar magazines are going to continue to find ways to cultivate that in explosive ways. Oh, yeah. Well, there's exciting discussions happening that I can't talk about. But yes, <laughs> for the travel space, yes. I've worked with Travel and Leisure now for two years. And so that's continuing in new ways, which is really exciting. And and I have started doing more hosting jobs with like School of Hustle, which is a show about entrepreneurship because of my tour company background. But yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that like what all travel companies are going to see is Travel is not going away. There is so much pent up demand for travel. My hope is that once things get safe again, we're going to see some type of boom in the travel industry that will help all of us recover. Mm -hmm. The one metric that I have to support that is on our channels, and I'm sure you've seen the same, the amount of saves on the posts oh, are more yeah. than we've ever seen. People bookmarking, you know, an offer or a type of room or a beautiful bathtub shot or an amenity. I'm sure for you, you're getting this on your tour posts. Yeah. And I'm actually seeing an increase in analytics again. It's like going back to normal. And I think that's because people are starting to plan a little bit. Like they're like, okay, the vaccine's starting to be distributed. It seems like the end of the year or late summer, things might go up again. Maybe I'll investigate booking a trip somewhere, you know? I know all of my friends are hungry for that international travel that we missed. Oh my God. What I would do to go literally anywhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I don't even have a preference anywhere. I can only organize my kitchen cabinets so many ways. Like... <laughs> I need to get out of this apartment. <laughs> no, I've I've gone through all of the phases. I've done the bread baking. I did the Animal Crossing Nintendo Switch phase. I redid my apartment. We're due for a trip to Italy instead at this point, I think. Yeah. Like my friend's getting married in Italy in June. And I'm like, I really hope that this happens. Because like, I just mentally need this to happen for my own sanity. So we'll see. And we know that's not just us feeling that way. I mean, people- no, everyone is. The travel industry as an institution, you know, we're also lucky that in a normal world, our job is being the best part of someone's year every year. Yeah. That, you know, all of our guests or tour guide attendees, like these people- you know, in those moments that we get to host them, maybe it's just three days, maybe it's a full week, like they've earned that time off and they've chosen that specific destination as their place to have fun and recoup. 
And we're in the business of fun. And I think that that's going to be more severe than ever because people are going to need those experiences and people are going to have the cash that they've been saving up. Oh, that's the other thing. The people that didn't lose their jobs have so much pent up cash saved up Mm -hmm. that I think you're going to see an increase in luxury travel as well from specific consumers because of that reason. And what's been fascinating is a lot of our luxury properties have actually been doing well during this time because they've been able to offer more of those private, curated, safe experiences that people are willing to pay premium prices for. And tied to our thesis here, they've needed them. They've said, I'm of course willing to book a cabin for my you know, small group of family. We were supposed to have a wedding. We still want to celebrate, but we're willing to pay more if we can do that in a safe way. And so if that isn't any indication of what we're going to see when everything gets opened back up and everyone has the means to participate, I don't even think we're going to be able to keep up. Well, I hope we can't keep up. That would be great because I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> I'm curious, when do you think travel will be open again and people will be booking? The trends that we are reading really do point to summer. So a lot of things have said things are going to feel much more normal July. It really does all lie on that vaccine rollout, which is, of course, turning out to be a little wonkier than any of us anticipated. But yeah, I also read July as the date. And then Broadway's reopening, I believe, now in September, mm-hmm. I think. Yep, so that's Yeah, so I think if that actually happens, then we're almost out of the woods here. Thank God. <laughs> all of these trends that have happened as we've all had to learn about virtual programming, live video, being more authentic, I can't imagine our going to do anything other than escalate as we move forward. So Sarah, like you've been able to share so much wealth and some direct TikTok tips too. I would love to hear, you know, as travel brands are looking at their content calendars and their social planning for the year ahead, what would your advice be to them right now? Is there anything from either a content perspective or a just let your hair down more perspective that would be your your thesis statement for our listeners to take away? Yeah. So I would focus right now on on local travelers. Um, I've been getting a lot of success with this on YouTube recently, just focusing on attracting the people that live near New York City, re-engaging them in the city in ways that they never thought of. Traditionally, when you plan a trip, you're thinking somewhere that involves getting on a plane. So in the short term, I would say, how can you connect with locals better. And while you're doing that, just be yourself. And maybe if you're a brand, it might be hard to think about like, how do I be myself? Well, show show off your owner, show off your founder, show off the employees, have that personality shine through. People really love the personality elements when you incorporate them into travel. So you can still highlight these cool experiences that you're offering with whatever your travel brand may be, but, you know, do it in a a non-commercial way. Right. And so, yeah, short term, do that, focusing on local, but also be aware that people are starting to look into booking further destinations. So, incorporate that as well. How can you connect with people from different places that might be interested in your location and do it in a way that is more raw, more relatable, less flat lays. Flat lays are beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) right now, you know, like things are crazy. All right. So people like it when they can feel like they can relate to a brand, yet they're still excited to visit that location because of your unique offerings. And that's what I'm doing right now with with my tour company and my whole influencer thing because I kind of cross both sides of the border there. Oh, this is a fun one that I've been doing. 
I have a lot of people that tipped on my live tours. And since they tip through PayPal, essentially, if they are part of my tour roster, if they signed up to receive information about the tours, I, I get their addresses. So I hand wrote postcards, like wishing everyone like a great new year and to thanking them for supporting my brand and, and me and thanks for watching. And I sent them out to over a hundred people. It took forever to write these. I focused on the, the high rollers, if you know what I mean, but, <laughs> <laughs> but still, and people loved that because it was like a direct message from me, handwritten and I'm the face of the brand and they felt so connected so how can you do that? How can they connect deeper with their customers, their audience, and the locals around them? And the main message being, you don't need to be in person to have that connection. No, you don't. In fact, in many ways, people are more accessible now because you can just do a Zoom call. Although, of course, everyone prefers in-person things for the most part. It's just way better. But for now, if you can connect online, do it. Take advantage because after this, I never want to be on another Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> the Zoom fatigue is too real. <laughs> right? Like some meetings, I'm like, does this need to be a video call? Like, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> so funny. And Sarah, we over here at JPR are so excited about the baby on the way. So I obviously know that is going to occupy your life very shortly. Maybe today. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'd love to hear, you know, you always have so much going on. Could you give our listeners a little sneak peek of maybe what you've got in the pipeline for later in 2021 and things open up? And then I'd also love for you to give them some clues as to where the best places to find you would be if they're looking to connect. Oh, for sure. So I have a lot of different things that I do. Travel's the main one. And I'm already planning several trips in discussion with a few locations to do more family style, but like young family style. I want to be able to bring the baby locations and show a new angle of my life since it seems like people really do want to have more personal connections in addition to just standard travel guides. I already know this is going to be the most well-traveled eight months <laughs> old that I'm ever going to meet. Absolutely. Yep. We're actually looking into getting her a passport as soon as possible once she arrives. No surprise. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be focused on incorporating family travel into it and couple travel more. Still working with Travel and Leisure, still working with Forbes to feature destinations in that new angle. As far as my tour company, I'm looking to reopen my tour company for in-person tours in April. So I'm getting ready for that. Hope to expand that at least to where we were before the pandemic. Right now, I'm just offering private tours of the city, which is still great. And then, of course, I have like the whole entrepreneurship angle. So I'm still like the host of GoDaddy's School of Hustle. It's a show all about entrepreneurship and building your own brand where I help entrepreneurs and I talk to entrepreneurs at all stages in their career on how they built their business from the ground up. So tour company, travel content, entrepreneurship. And so I'm just working on expanding all of those things, incorporating family travel. And where can you find me? Well, you can find me at uh, sarahfunky.com. That's my website that has all the links to everything there. You could also follow me on YouTube at Sarah Funk or on Instagram at Sarah Funky. Same with TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and all the things. But yeah, thank you so much, Molly. It was so great chatting with you about this. It was so good to have you on. You are always such a force. You have been since our hot chocolate date when we first met so many Which years ago. Which we need to do again because like hot chocolate's one of my cravings with pregnancy for some reason. Oh my gosh. I can meet the baby. They'll probably have already been to, you know, seven countries by then. Um, <laughs> hopefully, because hopefully we can start traveling as soon as possible. <laughs> I really am so optimistic about what the back end of this year holds for all of us. And all of us at JPR are so excited for you and Louie. Congrats to both of you. And thank, thank you, you for at the peak of this coming on and sharing this knowledge. I think that 
social is so nuanced and changing every day. And for our followers to have you as an access pass for information is just out of this world as a resource. And I can't appreciate all of your time enough. And I'd like to thank you for joining us on Priority Status. We hope to have you back post-baby. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And thank you always for just being such a great partner to JPR. To our listeners out there, give Sarah a follow. She's always doing interesting things. When the world opens back up again, you'll get to be taken all around the world with her, Louie, and the baby. And that's it for today's episode of Priority Status. Thank you to all for listening. Mm -hmm.